This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to journalist Najib Kaja. He is currently still in Afghanistan, so obviously all of the troops have left now, all of the Western troops, the US has lost the war, and the Taliban has taken over Afghanistan. Najib is there on the ground. He's been with the Taliban, traveling to different areas, Kandahar, Helmand. He's gonna give us an idea of what Afghanistan looks like now that the Taliban has completely taken over. Najib himself is a second generation Afghan and he's been covering the war in Afghanistan for over a decade. If you like what we're doing, please support us at patreon.com slash popular front. So maybe maybe just explain what you're doing right now uh, in Afghanistan. Obviously, all the US troops, everybody has left. Um, Taliban has taken over and you're still there. What are you reporting on specifically? I'm actually sent by a national Danish broadcaster who wanted me to uh, to cover the transition phase. Uh, they wanted me to show which impact it will have on Afghan society, on the individuals uh, that the Taliban is taking over. What kind of a change is it in people's lives? And at the same time, they also wanted me to uh, follow up on some Danish projects. They wanted me to visit some of the, you know, places where Danish soldiers, they fought. They wanted me to visit some people with relations to Denmark, Danish, Afghan, you know, Danes of Afghan origin, some of the people who were stuck here. So it's the, the, the thread is, you know, the Danish angle, but, but it's also a general story about, uh, about you know what is happening in Afghanistan right now it's it's, it's historical you know it, it's it's the end of the longest uh, war in modern time maybe you can correct me. yeah no it's it's definitely one of the longest running ones um maybe just give us an idea of what you've witnessed out there then because you've been on the ground for a while now um you've seen it all what's going on you know the afghan army uh, collapsed very fast and uh, a lot of people were surprised that it happened. I didn't witness the collapse of the army. I came afterwards. I had planned to come here in September and try to, you know, maybe see the defense of Kabul, you know, uh, observe it. But, it, you know, there were no, it ended, it ended with not being any defense, you know, of Kabul. Uh, the, you know, so, so what happened was that the Taliban, they, they just, they just, conquered Afghanistan like in, 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 in seconds, almost like if you compare it to, yeah, if you, if you, if you're trying to use, you know, uh, hour and hour, uh, time span, you know, if you, if we say that the war has, has, uh, lasted for, for, for one hour, you know, the, the battle of, you know, the final battle of Afghanistan lasted for a second. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, there are a lot of, explanations uh there is no simple explanation for this happening but but i have also been witnessing this conflict you know uh, i have been witnessing it for 17 years and been and and and, and watched you know all the signals about what was going wrong uh, and uh, and in 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 one way i was surprised and in another way i wasn't surprised 
uh, I was surprised that that the ANA wasn't didn't have the capacity that I thought they had. But at the same time, there had been a lot of uh, warning signals because the ANA had been uh, had no you know support ammunition support. You know they were uh, organized in a way that they were 100% dependent on American aerial strikes and American support, logistical support. So so they built up an army. First of all, that was uh, that was betrayed by its own government, who didn't support it with ammunition, didn't support it with 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 salaries, with food. A lot of the soldiers were starving on the front line. Uh, they were basically let down by their generals uh, and their own government. And at the same time, it was disorganized the army. So in that, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, it makes sense that you know, that it collapsed that fast. And another thing is also that you have, you know, you have a lot of rural areas in Afghanistan where people, uh, they're fed up with the government. They don't love the Taliban, but they, you know, they definitely don't love the Taliban, the majority of them. There's a minority in the rule of, in rural Afghanistan who is a active supporters of the Taliban. But then you have a majority who look in the rule of Afghanistan, who look at Taliban as a lesser evil than the government mm. because they've experienced like battles, they experienced mines, they experienced uh, assassinations because people are accused of being spies by either parties. They, they've experienced corrupt police chiefs, rapes, you know, with their police corps, uh, rapes people, steals, kidnaps. They've experienced aerial bombings. All these things, they're not happening in Kabul. They're not happening in Mazar. They're happening in the villages. In Kabul, they experienced suicide bombings from the Taliban. They also experienced assassinations. But if you compare to the things that they've experienced in the villages, it's really a minimal effect of the war. So, so, so you can say that people in the bigger cities, they've lived in bubbles. They haven't lived in the war. They've experienced the progress. They have experienced that you know all, a lot of the you know side effects of the war. So in that in that way, you know the people in the villages in the rural Afghanistan lost faith in the government, and that's why it's been really easy for the Taliban to take power. You know to 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 to, to, to yeah to to take so much land so fast, and uh, yeah, and uh, the thing is that. That what I've witnessed is also that you know an Afghan government still you know still right before Taliban took everything, insisting that this insurgency was fueled by Pakistani volunteers. You know they keep on talking about Pakistanis. Of course, SI is supporting the Taliban. It has been you know proved by several journalists. Everybody knows it. It's the elephant in the room. But. It's definitely not you. Maybe and and sh of course you know you have some Pashtun Pakistanis possibly fighting in the, you know in the border areas, but vast majority, vast, if not more than ninety five percent, between ninety five and ninety nine percent of the Talibs, they are the sons of Afghanistan. They are Afghanistan's sons, and they are Afghanistan's problem. And and this is what I've witnessed. I traveled in from Uzbekistan because. Uh, because uh, the, the you know um, because uh, airspace was shut by the Americans uh, because they started evacuating people and making you know a corridor uh, aerial corridor from Kabul to different countries. Mm. So I had to travel by land. So I traveled to Mazar first, and I drove past like many checkpoints, 
And I asked all of the Talibs, you know, at the checkpoints, where are you from? What's, what's, what's your tribe? What's your ethnicity? Which city are you from? And they were all from villages around the big city, around Mazar, all of them. Uh, and then I came to Pula Khumri on my way to Kabul, and they were from Pula Khumri, the villages, not from the city, but the villages, all of them. And I came to Kabul, and in Kabul, I actually I met people from different areas in the country, but I also met Kabuli Talibs, like right. people from the outskirts of, uh, of Kabul province, you know, from villages around Kabul. And I, I drove to Kandahar, and I drove, drove to Helmand, same story. Everywhere, same story. So this is one of the biggest lies that the government has have told themselves and the Afghans living in the cities that this is a war against Pakistanis. This is a war against, you know, their own countrymen. And, and it's a problem. If you don't acknowledge that, you don't acknowledge, you know, the reasons why you have this, why you have this challenge. And you have this challenge because you have a government who can't deliver base, basic services, basic fundamental things, you know, to, to, to their population. And when you don't deliver these things, you're going to get beaten by some guys who neither can, they can neither deliver these things, but they can give them something else. They can give them, you know, a feeling of, uh, what can I say? You know, for some of the, for some, for some of these guys is about revenge. You know, it's, 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 it's about revenge. It's about being humiliated, uh, by people from, from, from the cities. So it's 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 actually also a battle between the villages and the cities. Uh, it's it's a battle between the urban and and rural Afghanistan. Yeah, um, you're one of the few journalists that can operate with the Taliban. You know, not with them, but you know what I mean. You can work around them. Um, I remember that great documentary you made from Kunduz years ago. I thought that was so good. Um, you're back there now. I know you've been to Kandahar, like you said, you've been talking to the Taliban. What's the situation? What are they saying to you and what are you observing whilst with them? What they're saying, you know, you know, when you when you talk to the Taliban, most of them, you know, you you get like, you know, some of the cliches always by them, you know. And it, and it's not just cliches, it's also truth because they're religious and you know and uh, and and they're religious in the Taliban way. So they say they do the jihad. They fight against the government because they're infidels. They fight, you know, the foreigners because they're infidel, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But when you, you know, you try, you hang out with them a little bit, you you get kind of under under their skin. You get to know the story behind uh, behind them, and, you know, why they started, why they joined the Taliban. For some of them, it is stereotypical stories. They went to a madrasa. They were taught by some, you know, some mullah who, who gave them these, you know, very, very uh, e extreme interpretations of, of, of the religion. But for some other guys, you know, it's about, you know, it's about them living in a village. Uh, you know, you have a police force stopping them at the checkpoint, taking money from them, uh, you know, every time they, they try to get through, being humiliated, being beaten. Uh, for others, you know, it's about you know a house that has been that has been bombed by either Afghan or um, you know or American airplanes. Mm. So, so you have this you know chain of you 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 have this uh, you have you 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 have this uh, you know pot uh, what do you call it uh, potential? Uh, you have this potential for recruits that has been nurtured. That yeah. has been nurtured by the errors. By first of first of all, the American strategy, 
you know, and, and, you know, in the American strategy, it's been the cooperation with the wrong guys. We, you know, the Western countries have been cooperating with the wrong guys who have used the Americans as tools, you know, the Britons, the Danes, uh, all the Western countries as tools, mm. you know, to, to serve their own, to serve their interests. And when I talk to these guys, I get these stories uh, and I, I hear them quite often. So, so, you know, the story about the Taliban, you know, uh, you know, there are two narratives about them. It's the story that we know that, you know, these guys are extremists and they just, you know, want to fight because it's a part of their faith. But then you have the other story, which is also true, that uh, that they are uh, people who, uh, who, yeah, who were caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, and, you know, yeah, they, they took the rock instead of, instead of the hard place. Yeah, um, you've obviously you've been around the Taliban a lot in like the the many years you've been reporting in Afghanistan. Obviously, now they're on this kind of PR push where they're like, "No, we're reformed. We're not going to stop girls going to school." Blah blah. Um, what do you make of all that? Uh, to be honest, uh, they have they have progressed. That's a fact, you know, because they're not smashing TVs. They're not smashing. Right, right. Yeah, not know, now. They're not. No, no, they're not. And they're not going to do it, I'm quite sure. Uh, because you have another, you have a new generation of, of Taliban. But you will, you, will, uh, you will see them roll back some of the progresses that have been made. Yeah. That's for sure. It's 100%. And, you know, if you talk about, uh, you know, mixing of genders, you know, and if, if you're talking about personal freedom, uh, you're talking about, you know, press freedom, freedom of speech. It's going to be different times in Afghanistan. Question mm -hmm. is not whether things are being rolled back. Question is how much they're going to be rolled back. So you have a best case scenario where a lot of things won't be rolled back. It's only a few things. And you have a worst case scenario, which is actually not the Taliban from the 90s. That's 100%. But it's going to be, you know, it's, it's not going to be good. You know, it's going to be a, it's going to be tough times for certain segments in Afghanistan in, in the Afghan society. So a lot of you know some of the Afghans who stayed back, some of them or some of them who, who didn't have a choice and not a support of them, they're clinging. They're clinging to you know the first option that they're going to be a much lighter version than before. And there are people in the movement who want to go this path, but they don't agree. They have disagreements among them. You know. The sources that I've talked to, they told me about this. You have like the old school Taliban from Helmand and Kandahar, the heartland of the Taliban. These guys, you know, they're not like the 90s. I just been there. You know, I saw them. I saw them in the areas. You have girl schools, for example, in Helmand. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, the most traditional conservative area of the Taliban. You have girl schools. Uh, but question is, you know, what about all the other things? And... Uh, and for example, uh, one of the first things that has been rolled back, if you, you know, if you, if you, if we talk, if we talk about, if we talk about gender equality and uh, you know mixing of sexes, you know, uh, they uh, they uh, they banned uh, co-education for women and men in universities, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and and everybody's waiting for waiting for what they're going to say about work now. Because I, I I spoke to I, I spoke to 
a couple of female journalists and they're actually, they, they're not working right now because the Taliban, they're trying to find out how uh, women and men, they can work within an Islamic framework. And the reason why they haven't said anything about it is because from what I'm hearing and what I see is they're disagreeing about a lot of things. So they would rather say nothing than start, you know, mm -hmm. showing that. So people, there's a lot of things, you know, that are unsure right now. So it's going to be bad, but maybe not as bad as it was. Yes. Yeah. Kind of a grim uh, estimate though, still. Yeah, it is. But, you know, this is this is what the Afghan people, they have to work with. And mm. this is what the international community has to have to work with, you know, because nobody's going to try to topple them. <laughs> you know, that's for sure. If nobody, you know, no Western country and, you know, forget about China and, and Russia, you know, they just, you know, they, they, they have their own way of doing international politics. You know, they have really warm relations right now. Yeah, yeah. well, China's trying to, trying to basically, I think China has already basically accepted the Taliban, right? They want to do kind of diplomacy with them. Yes, they are. They are. I think, you know, best case scenario for Afghanistan right now is if, you know, it, it, Afghanistan is a Sunni Muslim country. It's not a Shia Muslim. Mm. But if, if Afghanistan could resemble Iran, you know, and not Saudi Arabia, Iran and not Saudi Arabia, it would be a success. You know, that's my uh, analysis of it. Because Iran yeah. is a country, it's, it's you know, it, they have an Islamist rule. Uh, it's a theocracy. But at the same time, at the same time, it's very progressive compared to, for example, Saudi Arabia. And at the same time, it's a country with a lot of educated people. And, you know, you have a lot of educated women, despite of the country being, you know, having so many uh, religious rules. Uh, and uh, they have a good infrastructure. Uh, so, so it, you know, and a country where you have a room for art, you have a room for art, you have a lot of censorship, you have a lot of challenges. You have, of course, that's why we have political refugees coming from Iran, you know for so many years but it's much better than saudi arabia still so you you we have to like you know we have to look at you know the art of uh, the you know what is possible the art of the you know possibilities uh what is what is possible and what is not possible and these are like you know i would say the two the, the spectrum that we're working within and i, I think personally this is like very subjective analysis from 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 my point uh, point of view right now. Is I think that if the you know the international community starts sanctioning them, they don't they wouldn't give a damn because most yeah. of these guys they they've been living you know they've been living in deserts and mountains, and and you know they haven't had luxury uh, and they're like okay we've been living like this, you know it's just business as usual whatever. It's gonna it's it's gonna be difficult for the Afghan people for the population, so I think the international community should give the Taliban the opportunity to interact with them. They should start uh, maybe trading relations, you know, do the things that they do with other countries, and give them something they can lose, because if they start rolling back a lot of a lot of the things, they can threaten to take the things away. Because it's 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 much easier, you know. It's 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 much more efficient to take something from somebody who have tasted it, than you know, tell people who haven't tasted something 
to tell them they're not going to get it. You know? Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. I think you're right in terms of like strategically, just for the sake of the people of Afghanistan, it's like at least do something to make it easier for them, right? It's like, you know, if you have to drink poison, you want the sweetest one. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a mad situation. Um, what I'm really interested in is you went to Kandahar recently, right? I think you were the first journalist to get there under like the Taliban rule of Kandahar. Obviously, there was a massive US base there. Um, and now they've kind of lost it all. You know, the Taliban are in control. What was that like? Yeah, I was. I was actually. I had. A, I had a layover in Kandahar, and then I went to Helmand. I spent mm. a lot of time. I, I not a lot, but I spent three days in Helmand. Uh, I was in Kandahar for one night, a half day, and it was. Uh, it was really uh, surprising the way that it was because what I witnessed was that they were very disciplined. The Taliban fighters there, you know, uh, if you, you know, we've been talking about the PR machine, and. Uh, you know, all the checkpoints, they saw my camera driving around and they were just like, are you a journalist? Okay, fine. No problem. They didn't even, they hardly asked. Some of them asked where I was from. And I mm. said I was from the yard. And they right. were like, yeah, right, you can just go. So strict orders from the top not to uh, arrest journalists. Uh, but of course, you have uh, exceptions, you know, of people. Like, for example, the strict orders of not taking, uh, you know, avoiding vengeance. You still have people running around, you know, mostly in the remote areas, taking revenge, killing people, uh, going after former government em employees. These things are happening, but they are, but 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 it's you know that the, the, the leadership they don't want it to happen. You know, the question is whether the the leadership will continue to have this stance. We don't know that. Uh, some people think they won't. Some people think they they will. But truth is that they, there are elements in the movement that they they don't have control over. It has been proven uh, many times. I've seen it here too. With you know, with you know, uh, close to the airport where where I had I had my I had a, I had a small uh, uh, what can I call it a clash with the with the Talib. And a lot of other journalists too. Despite what of, happened, you know, all. what happened was that uh, I was actually whipped by by a Talib guard because I was filming close to the airport. Whipped? Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, with a leather whip. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and uh, the guy he took my camera too. He took it from me, and he just, you know, he and he did it many times. He didn't just do it once. And he attacked my colleague too, my Afghan colleague. And uh, his phone was smashed too. And he took the phone also. But we eventually, we we actually, we went to the press office and to, to Zediola Mujahid. And uh, he he actually took care of it. He, he gave a letter and uh, where it said that the commander had to find the guy so we could get our camera back and discipline the guy who did it to us. Mm. So, so that was an example, a proof that some of the guys on the ground, they're doing the stuff, they're, they're doing what they're doing. So you, you got the camera back, right? I got it back. Got wow, it. from the Taliban. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Yeah, I got an apology also from the guy. You know, I, I actually, I, I was standing and shouting at him, you know, mm. because I, 
felt quite empowered with that little. <laughs> um, I, I guess the thing is, though, like you said, I, I think I think as well, the way I look at the Taliban is the way I look at Afghanistan. It's not, you know, for someone like me in the West, we think of like, oh, a country, there's the borders and that's the country. Obviously, Afghanistan is not like that. There are many different regions with all different ethnicities, different languages, different beliefs. There are parts of it that are just, you know, out of government control and always have been. I, when I look at the Taliban, I think that like, well, there are parts of it that are like that too, right? So we're talking about, okay, that happened in Kabul. But in these more rural areas, like you said, there have been killings. Like surely that can spin out of control very quickly. Yeah, yeah, it can. And you know, this is not about the Taliban just. This is just about Af Afghanistan. Yeah. Because before we had, you had the government and in the remote areas, it was the police. It was the ANA elements in the police, elements in ANA who were doing the same thing in these yeah. areas. So it's like, people are like, whoa, the Taliban, they killed eight people. Or the Taliban, they took revenge in that area. Hey, the police and the, you know, the security forces, the Afghan forces, you know, the different elements of the, you know, the Afghan, uh, you know, uh, the, the Afghan uh, national army, They've done that stuff too, you know. It's something that all militant actors in Afghanistan are doing, and the ANA, you know, generals, they don't want, you know, their soldiers. They didn't want their soldiers to walk around and kill people. Yeah. And you know, yeah. the, the, the police generals, because they call them generals here too, they didn't want their soldiers to do these things. But some of them were doing it, you know. So, so it's it's, it's really important sometimes to look at it, you know. From you know, you know, from from a wider perspective, look at Afghan society mm. instead of like saying, okay, this is this is how they are, you know, this is a certain thing that they are doing, uh, because you can you can criticize the Taliban or you can criticize the police for specific things that they're doing, but but you know, but then there are some general things also. For example, with the Afghan police, you know, you know, a lot of them they were drug, you know, they, they were drug addicts. Yeah, uh, criminals. They were like gangsters, you know. They were gangsters. Some of these groups, gangs, literally gangs, that were supported by the Afghan government and got aerial support from you know from from us, the West. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and you know some you know and you know there was this culture of abusing boys too, pedophilia in the police. It has been proven many times. Mm -hmm. I'm actually working on a documentary right now, also. Uh, you know, with a certain case, well, we're following a certain case, you know, happening in in, in a in, in a geographical area in Helmand, and uh, yeah, so so these things were very specific for Afghan police, and then of course you have some issues also which are specific for the Taliban, uh, but revenge and killings done in in remote areas, it's it's a general Afghan thing. I'm sorry to say. No, no, I, the, do you know what? It really gives you context to it. It's like, yeah, this has been happening. You know what I mean? It, it's it's really sad that people have to live with that, though. Um, I've been hearing some talk about, oh, there's resistance, the uh, the Northern Alliance is back, and then, you know, Panjshir. What's actually happening with that? Because from what I looked at, it didn't actually seem to be that that much is happening. But then other people I speak to are saying, no, no, there's, there's a big resistance to the Taliban. You just don't hear about it. Well, what do you make of all that? Yeah, it's, there is actually battle, a battle going on now in Panjshir. In the beginning, yeah. it was just talk. It was, nothing was happening, a lot of negotiation. But now, you know, I have several sources telling me that, you know, telling me and, you know, my Afghan colleague, you know, that I'm working with, that 
that it's it, it, you have you have battles there. Uh, there is there there is also fit footage of the battle now, and uh, and uh, I don't really know. There are some contradictory uh, stories about you know how is it going. Some people are saying that the Panjshiris they pushed the Talibs away, and others are saying that you know, and the Talibs are saying that they pushed them and took a lot of checkpoints from them. So uh, so, but the, the fighting is going on, and and the question is how strong they are in Panjshir. It's really difficult to say because a lot of the some of the special forces they went to Panjshir too, and took a lot of weapons with them, and you know, and uh, and uh, vehicles, and they you know, and joined uh, Ahmad Masood. So uh, and how many? How many are they? Are, are they bluffing? You know, are they really uh, around eight thousand or something like that, like they're saying, or are they much less? It's really it's really hard to say. But maybe just explain who Masood is for our listeners that don't know. Ahmad Masood is the son of Ahmad Shah Masood, who's a very famous uh, yeah, warlord in Afghanistan. He was fighting against the Soviet Union. And he was one of the most successful uh, commanders on the battlefield. And he, he was called the Lion of Panjshir. Panjshir is the area. It, if you translate Panjshir, it means five lions. It's a legend about five guys who were like fighting off a big army mm. and the people there they're really trying to live up to this myth it's it's a really harsh terrain it, it's a it's a mountainous area and uh, and they it was the only area that the taliban didn't take when they were in pow- power in the 90s it was actually they 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 uh, stood uh, they uh, they stood ground and the uh, you know, and they actually uh, kept their pocket up there in the north until the 11th of September, when Ahmad Shah Massoud was killed by a suicide bomber, an Arabic suicide bomber, North African, uh, the day before 11th of September. So it's a you know, uh, so he's a he's a he's a very important uh, symbol for some Africans, uh, not all. Uh, that people who are like who who worship him and you know because they they think he was one of the most progressive guys and he was the guy who was fighting for the freedom of Afghans and then you have other other people you know other uh, the rest of you know the population which are mainly Pashtuns you know uh, and it's not only the Taliban supporters but also people who are not supporters of the Taliban who who look at him as a as a warlord as a cynical mm-hmm. warlord. So you have like two narratives about Ahmad Shah Massoud. And Ahmad Shah Massoud was, was also very famous in, in, in the West, especially in France. He spoke French and they really love him in France uh, mm-hmm. because he was speaking French and he went to the French uh, university in Kabul too. And he was traveling back and forth between Afghanistan and France for many years. And right. Ahmad Massoud is his son and he's trying to... You know he's trying to uh, continue, you know, the legacy of his father now, and uh, resist uh, the Taliban Taliban offensive. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's going to be resistance in other parts of Afghanistan? At the moment, it doesn't look like uh, there mm. was an area called Andarab, uh, uh, where you had a group of uh, former soldiers and militiamen who were fighting the Taliban, but but the, the Taliban they took. Under up, they 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 quelled 
the, the, the resistance there. So right now it's actually only Panjshir. If something's gonna happen somewhere else, it, it, it will come as a surprise. Nobody can see it right now because uh, they managed to convince most, most of the provinces to give up without a fight. The, the hardest battle was actually in Helmand. It was actually <laughs> in the heartland of the Taliban. That's the crazy thing about it. That was the place where the hardest battle was in Kandahar and in Helmand. And the reason is, you know, you know, some people, you know, it's 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 basically a tribal war. Most of the tribes, you know, some of them, they, you know, they said belong to certain tribes, and 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 some of the, you know, people who were fighting off the Taliban were trying to fight them off in Helmand. They were they belong to other tribes. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Well, I, I I can I can recommend Mike Martin's book. Mike Martin, he's a former officer in the British Army. He's written a book about the tribal dynamics in Helmand, and he describes these things very well in in details. I'll check it out. Um, generally, just like day to day talking to civilians, Afghans. Um, what's the kind of you know consensus amongst the people about the taliban coming back i know obviously a lot of people are very worried that's why they've left um i know a lot of people couldn't get out but generally you know what, what are the people saying are they worried do they think they've really changed what's going on you know i i can't give you a very simple answer uh, mm. you know, it's, it's a it's a complicated answer you know in the cities people are in general very worried uh, in the cities uh, they are, you know, they're scared because they're afraid of, you know, some of the good things that have, that has all, that have also happened in Afghanistan. It's not, you know, people are looking at Afghanistan for the past 20 years as a big failure. You know, the, uh, it, you know, military strategic, strategically, it is a failure. And if you look at the amounts of money that have been spent in Afghanistan and the corruption and all these things, it is a failure. If you look at you know how people in the rural areas and the poor part of the population have been treated, it is a big disaster. But for certain groups in Afghanistan, you know there have there has been a growing middle class. Uh, women they have they 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 managed to get more rights. Yeah. Uh, personal freedom uh, is. Has been bigger, uh, became bigger until you know uh, until the Taliban came, and uh, the press freedom was one of the best things that happened in Afghanistan. Because as Afghanistan, despite of the war, despite of all things that happened, you know the press freedom was much wider in Afghanistan than I Iran, for example. And I think it's it's more than Pakistan also, and definitely more than the Central Asian countries, all their neighbors. So that's like the positive stories, and these are the things that people are scared of losing, and that's yeah. why you see this of journalists, creative, you know, the creative segments, the artists, uh, you know, people working with, you know, you know, with the, with the, with you know, with humanistic, humanistic uh, subjects. Yeah. And uh, so for them, for them, it's, it's, it's really hard. And of course, you know, the 50% of the country who are women, you know, uh, they, 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 they're not, you know, they're not uh, celebrating, of course. So, uh, and then you have the other side of the story. You have, uh, you have the people living in rural areas, uh, a, a big minority, not a majority, but a big minority of rural Afghans. They prefer the Taliban. 
because uh, because they're religious, they're conservative. Yeah. And Taliban coming doesn't change that much in their lives. Uh, and then you have a majority of the rural Afghans. Uh, you know, among them, you have a f- you know you have a few uh, a few one who who are against the Taliban, but it's you know because they they've gained from the international presence, you know, and they have connections. They're like upper class, middle class Afghans. And then you have, you know, a, you know, a really big, big group, a big group who look at the Taliban as a, as a, a lesser evil than, uh, than the government because uh, they feel that the government has, you know, the representatives of the government have oppressed them and stolen from them and, you know, been corrupt. So they prefer them not because they think they can, you know, give them a lot of things, but because they've suffered much more under the other. So it's a very complicated answer. And it's really difficult to tell this in news stories. You know, there's no space for it. No, which is why I'm glad we've got a chance to speak, man, because it is a very complicated place. And there's a lot of very harsh realities that I think people don't want to accept over here in the West as well, you know, about Afghanistan, about the war. Um, I, I know it's impossible to predict, but in in the short time, you know, you're there, you know the country inside out. Where do you see all of this going now that the Americans have lost and they've left? Uh, there are two options, two ways. One way is that you will, you know, that they live up to the things that they're saying, that they really want to be something different than before, uh, that they're going to they're gonna be a much lighter version than what we saw before. That they're gonna be, you know, best case scenario, kind of like Iran, uh, and uh, you know, uh, in some ways, it would be good for the Sunni Muslim world also, because if you look at it, for example, Iran is a geopolitical problem for some of the Western countries because of you know they have a rivalry with them, but you don't have Shia Muslim terrorist groups, for example, mm. you know. Because Iran have, you know, international terrorist groups. Where we have Hezbollah. Yeah. They have Hezbollah, you know, like a local group, but they don't, you know, blow up bombs in, you know, in general. Right. They're not, there's no like ISIS Hezbollah. Yeah. ISIS, Al-Qaeda kind of group. Yeah. If you get like a religious state in Afghanistan, which is not crazy like ISIS, totally crazy like ISIS, extremely crazy. Uh, and wants relations within the international community. Maybe it can kind of channel some of you know some of uh, some of these guys, organize them. So some of guys who who are kind of not satisfied with the governments and maybe be a kind of a you know vental, like Iran is a vental for for uh, you know extremists, Shia extremists. You know, it's a vental. They, they listen to the, the Ayatollah, you know. Yeah. That's why they don't, you know. That's why they don't blow up bombs in uh, in Copenhagen or in Washington, because the Ayatollahs they don't want them to do that because they want normal relations with other countries. Of course, they have the proxy wars, different places in the Middle East, but you don't have the international terrorist problem with them. And if the Taliban, best case scenario right now, for hopefully in the future we can have a better best case scenario. Uh, they they will be they will try to behave internationally. Maybe they can channel some of these guys. You know, uh, wh- how can I say it? Actions into a framework where they are, where, where where they won't be as rogue as they have been. So so 
so I'm trying to find some, you know, a little bit of sunshine in all this darkness yeah. right now. You're hoping that, you know, there's some kind of Taliban jihad pragmatism, really. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm hoping for some pragmatism and for a leadership there who can tell people, okay, fine, you can come here, you can live as Muslims, but you cannot, you know, just walk around and, you know, start wars, different places, you know, because you feel like, uh, you know, you're small. You're small, a small war, you, one-man army blowing up bombs, different places. Uh, because I'm the Amir, I'm the leader. Uh, but and and another best case scenario is also uh, that you will that they will live up to their promises of women working and women being educated. You know, not just until eighth grade or ninth grade, but actually also in universities, like they do in a country like Iran. Yeah, I hope so. I I think that's one of the most important things about it. Like. You know, whilst I am not saying it's good that America invaded Afghanistan, absolutely not. One of the few good things I think that happened there whilst they were there was more girls going to school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hopefully that continues. Um, okay, mate. Thank you very much. Is, is there anything else you want to say just before we go? I'm sorry for my very dystopic, you know, dystopic uh, <laughs> predictions. No, 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 mate. I, I'm, I much prefer... Um, people being honest, you know, there's so much of this, especially in like Western news of this thing of like trying to sugarcoat it. And it's like, no, this is the reality now, you know? So I, I really appreciate your insight on this. Um, where, where can people find your work if they want to, you know, look you up? Uh, I have, you know, on my Twitter. I'm yeah. On my Twitter account, uh, it's uh, Najib K. Uh, I have like a playlist on, in you, uh, on YouTube. I have a link uh on my twitter account and you know uh, it's not all of my documentaries but but a lot of them are are there if you if, if people click on the link cool and it, it's the twitter is um twitter.com slash n-a-g-i-e-b-k for anyone that wants to look it up yeah yeah brilliant thank you very much mate um stay in touch thanks for having me Jake. That was journalist Najib Kaja talking about his time on the ground in Afghanistan, the Taliban's Afghanistan now, I guess. Um, very interesting, a great journalist. I first met Najib when I worked at Vice years ago now. He made this amazing documentary where basically he was embedded with the Taliban as they took over Kunduz. Obviously back then, uh, the Taliban was still fighting for control from the Afghan National Army and Western troops. He's a great journalist. Definitely check him out, look him up, follow him on Twitter, watch his documentaries, all of that. Najib Kaja. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front and you want to support us and get more, go to patreon.com slash popularfront or you can go to popularfront.co slash support. This episode was sponsored by Oracle Coffee Shop in Portland, Oregon, USA. They're an independent coffee business selling only fair trade products. See them at 3875 South West Bond Avenue 97239. The episode was also sponsored by Grind Core House, a pair of independent coffee shops in Philadelphia, USA, one in South, one in West. Find them on social media at Grind Core House. The episode was also sponsored by Propagandopolis, an outlet selling and writing about historical conflict propaganda from around the world. Buy prints at propagandopolis.com. 
Use the promo code POPULARFRONT10 for 10% off. And there's also a range of Popular Front posters on there. If you go to the website propagandopolis.com, you'll see it on the header there. If you want to follow us on social media, Instagram at popular.front, Twitter at popularfrontco, um, YouTube, youtube.com slash popularfront. That's where all our documentaries are. Um, we put the podcast episodes up there as well for the YouTube. Um, getting them all uploaded. It's a long process, but anyway. Um, if you want to follow me, um, it's just at Jake underscore Hanrahan, H. A N R A H A N. Um, I got a message the other day. Someone telling me they hate the way I pronounce the letter H. Fuck yourself. Um, my website, jakehanrahan.com. Music in this episode the intro was by Home and the outro was by Sam Black. Hear his music at samblackpf.com. Um, if you want to support us, like I said, go to patreon.com slash popular front. Thank you to the higher tier Patreons. They are Elise Middlefart, Jess Lewis, uh, David McManus, Joachim Williamson Holt, Yidoy Travis, sorry if I've pronounced that wrong, Tom Petrie, James Lyons, Leons, Kate, Lisa Milgram, Bradley Davies, Brendan Crave, Pete Hesher, RX, A. Nicole, Travis Lieberman, Cherry, Ben Marshall, Dallas Dunn, LD50 Seattle, MJ, Meredith Waters, Bethany Swoveland, Adam H. Larson 8669, Karante, Bjorn Kirsten, Diamondstein, Michael O'Connor, Zach Picard, Todd Cravens, Nicholas Butter, Ron Swanson, JD, Jav, Ian Froese, James Cully, Tynan Daly, Ethan Fitzmadrid, Ed Coulthard, Mike Barone, Ben, Liam Williams, Chris Cusimano, Degenerate Zero Alpha, Giorgio Arani, DR, Trey Nance, Amy R. Rubicon, Frank Austin, Amelia Me, Nawaiz, Nate Van Dor, Christina Rivetti, Freya Northman, Ali Hunter, Moody Al Rashid, Bill Wilson, Andrew Hurley, Vida Provost, Brian McLaughlin, Tom Lochrin, Young Wasabi, Tony Bin, Adam Bergsnyder, JL, Stephen Davila, Anthony Kabarak, Dan Dunham, Fletcher, Chad Walker, Diana Govanek, Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did, Axel Iverson, Christopher Martin, Ryan Sandercock, and Moritz Zumbo. Thank you all so much. They are the higher tier patrons. Like I said, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash popular front. There's loads extra for you there, and you help fund Popular Front.